Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Thursday morning, the 25th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Social Democrats say church teaching should be taken out of sex education and that young people should be informed by science and not religion. Their education spokesperson, Gary Gannon, introduced a bill to that effect yesterday, highlighting some of the problems faced in schools that have a religious ethos. Teacher who is of a LGBTQI plus persuasion in the school has to continue to teach that the manner in which they love is subordinate. Um, a student in that same school who may be struggling with their sexuality or may come from a family that's different to the traditional nuclear as subscribed to church teachings that's enshrined within some of these teachings that's already ongoing will still be told that they are somehow different, that they are somehow lesser. Attitudes like this, Gary Gannon says, belong in the past. In a modern republic, we have um, teachings, re- religious influence in terms of facts-based knowledge in relation to relationships and sex being taught to young people in their schools. It's abhorrent. Ahead of introducing this bill, Gannon says he has been inundated by people supporting a change in the law. My emails, my phones, our social media were flooded with people who talked about in the Firstly, the absence of an appropriate sex and relationship education and skills and how that has impacted them in various different ways, how it's impacted their children, how it means that they have to exclude their children from classrooms where they're told that um, puberty is a gift from God, where every reflection, where, every, where these programs such as Flourish, every session ends with a prayer of reflection. And we wonder how that's suitable. So that's why there's an urgency. Right, right. that's, that's uh, a... Gary Gannon, uh, the Social Democrats uh, spokesperson on education. Let's speak to Michael Healy-Ray, who's an independent TD for Kerry. Good morning to you, Michael Healy-Ray, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. You took a a very different perspective, I think it's true to say, than Gary Gannon on this yesterday, mentioning that education uh, from the church in schools goes back decades. And you said that this bill that was being proposed was not so much about biology as it is about assailing traditional values and encouraging behaviour that responsible adults know could potentially be terrible for children. Explain that to us, if you would, please. Okay, well, first of all, Michael, thank you for giving me the opportunity and hello to your listeners this morning. Well, the way I would describe this is, uh, and I'm obviously not talking about any individual TD. I'm not talking about, for instance, perhaps this 
proposal that was made in particular. But in Dalian at present, uh, I respect all religions and none. But in Dalian, there is a, a group of people who would be what I would call very anti-Catholic religion. And I really and sincerely mean that. Every action, an awful lot of the talk, an awful lot of what comes out of their heads is really anti-Catholic and anti-religion in general. Now, I would like to remind people that I would never try to uh, shove my religion down anybody's throat. Uh, for instance, I, I work very, very closely with hundreds of people from what I would call the Muslim faith. And uh, I deal with them on a daily basis and would be terrible good friends with them. And, uh, and we have totally differing views when it comes to religion. But I respect their religion as they do mine. But there seems to be a sentiment in Irish politics where it's okay to bash the Catholic religion. And it seems to be the, the hip-hop thing to do, if you know what I mean by that. I would like to remember that... Uh, the Catholic religion has done an awful lot of good work in our uh, teaching in profession back over the years on boards of management, uh, in building schools, in working in communities. And I can see nothing wrong with that. Now, as you know, a successful campaign has been ran in our hospitals of removing uh, religious artifacts from walls. If there was a picture of a cross, if there was a picture of the Virgin Mary, these were all removed uh, nice and subtly over the years. It's like we're trying to rub out the fact that we are predominantly a Catholic-based country. Now, I don't see any shame in that. And again, I'm not trying to impose anything on anybody else. But I would have to say that when I hear people saying, oh, well, bad things were carried out by people of, uh, you know, involved in religion, sure, of course there was. There was bad things carried out by business people. There was bad things carried out by politicians. There was bad things by everybody in every sector of society. But that doesn't mean that they're all bad. I'm very glad to recognize the good work that was done by priests and nuns back over the years. I never have any denying in the fact that I was completely uh, unable to, to read or to write uh, until I was maybe like 11, 12 and 13 and it was a very nice nun, Sister Regina, who uh, took me under her wing and uh, made it her project to try and get my head right and get me in such a way as that I could write my name. Mm. And, uh, and I, I never denied that fact. And if that woman hadn't been so persistent, if she didn't have the nice and caring way that she did to give so much of her time, uh, I, I would have had to have endured a life of complete and absolute illiteracy where I would not have been able to write my own name, uh, not a mind being able to read anything. So, And I believe the gift of, of, of education is so important to somebody who has okay. special requirements. Okay. And you said you weren't speaking about any individual TD, but you said some TDs are anti-Catholic. Uh, yes. Maybe we can hear just a little bit of what Gary Gannon had to say about such an allegation. I'm not anti-Catholic. I am anti a system of a 
system of control and systematic abuse that abused people in this country for decades, that led to the mother and baby homes, that led to Magdalene laundries, that led to a scenario where we were told that contraception was wrong, divorce was wrong, um, that IVF was wrong, that was told that loving a person of the same sex as yourself was wrong. That's what I'm opposed to. And the same people who inflicted that on Irish society for over a century have absolutely no right, they have no legitimacy to tell, to have any engagement in terms of relationship and sex in their school and to talk to our children, our young people about the manner in which they love. They lost that legitimacy a long time ago. I fully have respect for people of faith and I abhor the suggestion from across the chamber that I may not have. It's not that. It's we want science to dictate the manner in which our children are given facts. All right. Uh, what do you make well, of that? Well, mm. I'll tell you the point I would make mm. of that. When I see politicians give you a lot of time into wanting to change something like this, I sometimes wonder what planet who is living on. Because when I'm dealing with boards of management, and when I'm dealing with principals and teachers, mm. special needs assistants, what I'm hearing them saying to me is, will you go away and will you please get money for the extension to our schools? Will you please go away and get money to put the roof on our schools? Will you go away and do your job and get us more resources for students with special needs and mm. requirements? Will you go away and get more SNEs for our schools? Okay, but this is nothing to do with any of those issues. This is to do with sex education. Where, where did yes. you learn about the facts of life, Michael Healy, Ray? Well, I'll put it to this way. It wasn't any person of any wrongdoing from the Catholic religion that did anything against me in any form. No, but where did you learn the facts of life? Well, I'll put it to this way. There wasn't a form of sex education no. when I was going to... That's when the, well, that's when the church was uh, uh, had the authority uh, to guide children uh, 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 on moral issues. And it didn't do anything uh, in terms of sex education. All it did uh, was say that that's something for married people. But, you see, that whole point you're making, you're forgetting a very important group of people in all of this, and that is the parents. You have the parents who know and understand... Who were brought up the same way uh, and suffered uh, as a result of church teaching because when the church did uh, eventually, when the church did eventually uh, take up the responsibility of sex education, it brought its religious ethos to it. It told children that they'd go to hell for masturbation. It told children that contraception was wrong. It told children that sex outside of marriage was wrong uh, and that uh, if uh, pregnant women were not married, then they were fallen women and they were sent into the mother and baby homes and the Magdalene laundries and so on. They told people that same sex is wrong. They told people that trans is wrong. Same sex, trans, all that sort of stuff. Intrinsically evil. And that continues to be the church's teaching. While on the other hand, they were turning a blind eye to paedophiles. In fact, they were covering up for them. And I've already said to you that obviously there are people of wrongdoing in all walks of life. And I in no way whatsoever would condone anything like that. I did an awful lot of work uh, with people involved in the psychiatric services. And I know firsthand what happened to young, highly respectable young get, ladies and girls that got pregnant at a time when they were being put into mental institutions. And I mean, that was so wrong to rob them of their lives, to rob them of all the opportunities that life would have held for them. And I, I worked in all that area, so I, I know exactly the horrible things that did happen. But to go throwing out, as we'll say, the baby with, with the backwater and to say that, well, everything to do with the Catholic religion is wrong and it should be rubbed out as if 
they were all evil people. But uh, that's not what's being suggested. What is being suggested is, is that there would be a science-based curriculum uh, in terms of the education that would be given to children uh, and that when they learned about sex, they learned the facts and then they could make the moral decisions themselves, that those facts wouldn't be clouded by moral decisions from a, a church that finds same-sex, for example, intrinsically evil. Yes, but like, will anybody admit that people involved in religion did good work back over the years and gave up their lives. Are you trying to tell me that every person... Well, I, so I don't understand. If we're going to keep interrupting, if, if I can't make a point... But you asked me a question. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm Michael. Michael, I'm sorry. I, th- I thought you asked me a question. I thought you asked me a question. Was I going to uh, say that that was the case? I was just going to say, I, I don't understand what the point of the question was. Right. Well, if we don't understand this, there's something radically wrong. What I'm saying is, is somebody, whether it's in politics or whether mm. it's in the media, trying to say that every person who puts on a collar, be that a priest or be it a no, that there's something wrong with them and that they're bad people? Because I certainly don't agree with that. I believe that they're terrible, well-intended people. I believe they're genuine people who gave up their lives for what they believed mm. in. And I don't but, see anything wrong with but, that. But, but I don't see anything wrong with that either. And, yes. and I think we all know wonderful uh, members of uh, the clergy, of the religious, and so on. Uh, but the question is, why should religious beliefs be brought into sex education? Because our schools, back over the years, and if, if people want to change that, and if that is what the majority of people want, well, that's what the people will get. But what I'm saying is that our schools have been served, in my opinion, there's boards of management they're working diligently, they're trying to improve their conditions and they want their politicians to work in that sphere. I quite simply was asked the question uh, over the last number of days, did I agree or disagree with what was being proposed? And that is what I would call the rubbing out of the Catholic religion from our education system. And my answer to that was I didn't agree with it. The reason I'm on your programme this morning is because I didn't agree with it. Mm. Mm. If I agreed with it, I wouldn't be on at all. And everyone is entitled to their opinion. Mm. And if if other people are down on religion and saying, well, to hell with the whole atom, we should rub it out, there should be no uh, influence whatsoever of the Catholic religion in Irish life. And if that's what people are saying, well, that doesn't mean to say that I have to blindly go along and agree with you. No, and I'm very grateful, and I am very grateful that you are here with us uh, because we are discussing or debating, if you like, uh, our culture. This is the way we were brought up. Uh, and some people have uh, some views and there are alternative views. So I think it's probably a very healthy thing that we discuss it. And that's why I'm very grateful that you are here to talk about it because you're uh, opposed to the motion. Uh, and what, what I'm saying to you is that I don't think anybody is saying to try and do away with the Catholic Church or its role in society or its role in education. And some people yeah. might so, some people yeah. might be saying that, but in, in, in the religious influence on sex education is the topic. But you see, you, just what you said there is wrong because there are politicians who mm. want to rub out completely. Like I say, you've seen it happening in our hospital. For God's sake, when we start proceedings in the dark, there's a little prayer said and a moment of reflection. And you could be of any religion or none and partake in that. But at the same time, there are many, many politicians who wanted to do away with that because mm. they thought it was wrong. And they think that standing up, bless yourself and bow your head to whatever God you want to do that talk. Mm. They think that's wrong. And I mean, God damn it, every one of us is going to die. 
yes, of course, I, I always say this, I respect people of all religions and none. And there are people who believe that when you die, you go into a hole in the ground and that's it and there's nothing else for anybody. Well, I don't believe in that, but I'm not trying to shove that down anybody else's throat. But neither am I, neither am I trying to come along and say that that those people are wrong. But I can I ask you one last reason, question? But I'm going to talk up for what I believe in. Can I ask you one last question about right and wrong? Yes. Uh, do you believe it's right or do you believe it, it, it's wrong for a young child, um, maybe young teenager, uh, to be in a classroom and to be told that they're evil because of the way that they were born, because of their sexuality? Nobody, in my opinion, that is right in their own head is going to look at any child, whatever uh, that child, because whatever that child wants to be is the, uh, the very best. Intri- intrinsically evil. Yes. No, but there is nobody going to look at a child inside the classroom and say that because of their beliefs that there is something wrong with them. There is nobody going to say that. And but that's, the, church, that but that's the church's teaching. Well, well, you know that no person inside the classroom if they think that somebody is different, that they're going to look at that person, or if they did, they shouldn't be inside in the classroom. And you know that as good as I do, because everybody has to respect everybody else. And whether coming back again, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're an atheist, no matter what you are, you, you should be respected for your own belief. But that doesn't mean to say that a person like me, an ordinary person, I'm only one person, but I believe in God. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. I know that if if the, if the biggest atheist in the world had a, a big stone down on top of their leg and if they were going to die in the next couple of minutes, I wouldn't be one bit surprised if they shouted out to, for God to help them because it, it would be a natural reaction to seek help from someone. And my point is, why should the likes of me be silenced? Because it's not hip-hop. To, like, in other words, I should be uh, going along with the sway of saying, ah, yes, 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 forget about the Catholic religion. Mm. They were never any good anyway. I okay. don't believe that. So, 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 so you're saying that uh, nobody should be told it's wrong to masturbate. Nobody should be told contraception is wrong. Nobody should be told sex outside of marriage is wrong. Nobody should be told that it's wrong to be pregnant outside of marriage. Nobody should be told that IVF is wrong. Nobody should be told that same sex uh, relationships are wrong or that trans people are wrong uh, or any of those other issues? Every one of those issues that you were talking about, from once I get up in the morning until when I go to bed at night, I work on those issues. I work with people who have difficulties throughout their lives, whatever aspects of it is, whether it's the young girl who gets pregnant and needs accommodation and needs help and assistance, whether it's the person... But should they be judged? It's a very... I mean, to put put all of that into a very uh, concise sentence, should they be judged? Well, I don't believe that the Catholic people that we have today, the people who are teaching religion, the people who are involved in religion, they are not looking at people now and judging them. And you know they're not. And I know they're not. And if there are uh, what we call call older-fashioned people, well, you know they're doing out. And the modern people that are involved in religion today, they're kind, their understanding of the different ways. And if there is um, 
things that they fundamentally okay. don't agree with. They're not trying to shove it down somebody else. Do you know, I think I you know. and I could probably talk about this all, all day, but I don't know if that's just because of our age group. Uh, but we have to leave it there, unfortunately, and go to some other topics. But thank you very much indeed. As I say, I'm very grateful uh, that you were uh, happy to come on with us uh, this morning. Uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. That's you. Independent TD for Kerry, Michael Healy Ray. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the Minister of State with responsibility for the Office of Public Works and Flood Relief, Patrick O'Donovan, is uh, visiting County Louth today. The Minister is on the line. A very good morning to you, Minister, and thanks indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. You're visiting uh, the county to look at some of the flood relief measures that have been put in place recently and indeed at some of our greatest treasures in County Louth. That's right. Uh, good morning, Michael. I suppose I'm, I'm visiting um, Drogheda with um, Fergus at Ode there um, to look at a, a number of things. We have responsibility for, as you say, um, a wide range of issues, but in specifically on the, on the flooding side and on the heritage side, we have um, we've two very important treasures, uh, both in your area there. They're in the, in the Loud constituency, but one is in, in County Mead, the, the Old Bridge Estate and the, the Battle of the Bain site. Uh, and the second one in St. Lawrence's Gate. And I, I had the opportunity there recently online to, to, to meet with um, uh, the group Love Drogheda, uh, the Fergus arranged uh, for me to meet. And, um, you know, I think that there's an opportunity for us to look at these two sites particularly to see, um, because they're both in the, in the custody uh, of the Office of Public Works while, um, you know, the St. Lawrence's Gate is owned by... Um, the, the council, we, we, we look after it, um, and the Oldbridge site obviously has a huge significance in terms of the history and uh, its, its uh, relationship and its proximity to the town of Drogheda and the wider hinterland of the Loudmead area. Um, you know, with our head of uh, heritage and um, head of uh, property services there, Rosemary Collier, we're, we're looking to see that particular part of the northeastern region and the tourism offering. And I'm a former minister for tourism. How those sites can add uh, to the to the existing uh, very significant tourism mm-hmm. offering that that is in the northeastern region, particularly in the Vine Valley, um, that the Office of Public Works have responsibility for. How we can work with the local authorities in particular uh, to increase value and to increase um, overnight accommodation in particular uh, in the Loudmead area. Old Bridge uh, has been a, a big success uh, and there's no doubt about that and it really is uh, a jewel in the crown, uh, <laughs> one in the orange crown uh, as far as uh, some of our, our neighbours north of the border are concerned as well and quite often we've visitors uh, from uh, the unionist camps uh, come to Old Bridge. Yes, but it's 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 proximity and its closeness to the town of Drada, and not only that, but it, you know the the hinterland that it serves as well, and the fact that it's you know it's just a beautiful domain, um, mm. and I know from talking to Fergus, a lot of people use it for you know daily walks, parks, runs. You know, it's an important place for families, for um, an amenity as a parkland. It's it's just an important amenity, not only as a place for um, you know history buffs and people who want it as a visitor attraction and an important heritage site, but it is an important park and hinterland uh, for, for the town of Drada and for the surrounding areas uh, for the village of Denor and other areas. Mm. So, you know, we're, we want to work with um, Loudoun Mead County Councils um, to see how we can collaborate onto the future of these sites, while obviously being mm. very sensitive as to the history associated with them, both the town centre ones uh, and as well as that, you know, not yeah. only the Oldbridge sites, but the other ones that we have in the, in the Loudoun Mead areas as well. Some uh, work done recently as well around Lawrence's Gate uh, people will have noticed uh, some of uh, the old town walls are, are being exposed uh, and I'm sure that's a, a, 
uh, an ongoing job and there's been this effort now to try and uh, attract visitors. I think there's been a lot more visitors uh, to the gate uh, in recent times since uh, the traffic uh, was changed. Uh, but that in itself was disastrous and had to be reversed recently, the flow of traffic around Lawrence's Gate, uh, despite uh, the fact uh, that there isn't traffic now going under the gate uh, but there was also talk uh, at the time that it, it would somehow be turned into some great tourist attraction with cafes and pubs and all sorts of uh, things like that uh, which would uh, stand uh, in uh, the shadow of uh, the gate uh, have you any news on any of that? No but what I will say is that like the, you know this is an important part uh, an important asset of, of what was uh, you know as you say yourself uh, the walls of, um, one of one of Ireland's most important towns uh, and we have custody and responsibility of maintaining it as a monument um, and it is a symbol of Drogheda uh, and you know we are I suppose we are very fortunate and I'm very fortunate to be the Minister with responsibility for the OPW uh, to look after it but in looking after it um, you know we want to hear the views of the, 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 the people of Drogheda uh, and uh, to, to hear where you know they believe the future of it has to be sensitive obviously to making sure that it has to be handed on to the next generation but in doing that it's, a, it's an important symbol of the town and I know that for instance the you know, in terms of uh, how Drogheda uh, is portrayed in terms of, uh, you know, mm. bringing in visitors for the flat, for, you know, the, the importance of it in terms of its symbolism. Uh, OPW wants to work with Loud County Council uh, to making sure that not only is it just protected, and I'm, I'm saying the same thing in terms of all of our monuments and all of our historic properties, we have to make sure that uh, we give visitors a good experience. Uh, and that's all visitors, domestic uh, international people with l- impaired mobilities, young and old, uh, and that it requires investment, uh, and it requires investment over a period of time, and it requires consultation. Mm. Uh, so my visit today is part of that. Uh, do you think uh, that it might be open to people to walk up the steps of uh, the gate and uh, view the town uh, from uh, above? Uh, would uh, the funding be there to employ somebody uh, to uh, to act as a, a janitor as such? Well, we've had health and safety concerns and, uh, and, and these have been well-voiced and well-articulated and we also have COVID concerns uh, and social distancing is obviously a problem as well. Um, so, you know, I'm sure I'll get a, a greater indication of that today when I'm out there. I, I was there myself a number of years ago, every before I went into politics, um, you know, because I'm, I suppose, a, a kind of a history nerd myself. And so the whole uh, kind of a Cromwellian period of history is something that I would have, you know, um, um, had an interest in ever before I went into politics um, particularly uh, and had a significance in the whole uh, that period of Irish history is something that I would be fascinated with mm. um, so you know this is something that I have a deep interest in um, so I'm looking forward to, to hearing first hand our, our plans um, and as well as that to hearing you know what the, the local people would like to hear because I met them online and I committed to meeting them mm. but then more significantly I suppose is the future of the town as well in terms of where we want to make an investment in in terms of my agency's responsibility uh, in the whole area of climate protection and climate mitigation uh, into the future uh, from the flood protection point of view and this is a massive investment um, that we are uh, again uh, asking um, we've only recently in the last uh, month appointed uh, consulting engineers uh, to work uh, with uh, Loud County Council 
um, uh, and they will, over the next period of time, uh, initiate, uh, again through the council and with the public as well, they will initiate a series of public consultations and dialogues and they will be, I'm sure they will speak to people which, like yourselves mm-hmm. uh, and the other local media channels and, we'll be, and I'm sure I'll probably be back on your programme if you'll have me uh, to talk in more depth about what we're, what we're hoping to design by way of, which is an enormous scheme uh, to protect the town of Drogheda, upwards of 35 million euros uh, of public investment. Um, but this is about climate adaptation. You know, at the coal phase, we had a lot about COP26, about, you know, what climate change actually means in terms of emissions. Well, this is brass tacks about what it means for the town of Drogheda. Uh, and, you know, later on, I suppose I'll be getting first-hand indication of the type of protection that it'll mean for, you know, 198 commercial properties, um, 73, you know, other properties and up to 183 houses that are very vulnerable at the moment and we know what type of vulnerability that actually presents in a town like Drogheda um, and as well as that to Baltray um, and this is real pro- this is real climate change in, in, in the town uh, where we know you know it's one of Ireland's largest growing towns really important town um, big commercial centre um, a massively growing population and we know the impact to climate um, uh, is having in that, that area and that's why we want to make that investment now Well I'm sure all of that will be very welcome Minister uh, and I'm sure people will meet with you today. Uh, you'll be in uh, Drogheda uh, around uh, lunchtime, I think, is it? Yeah, well, okay. uh, I, um, I'm going to Oldbridge first and then heading out uh, and then to, to Drogheda to meet uh, Loud County Council uh, and um, they, they love Drogheda people. So, look, I'll be back then again Very later good. on, uh, you know, after Christmas uh, with a more, I suppose, detailed uh more detailed discussions with engineers and, and officials of Loud County Council again, uh, you know, to meet mm. with um, people on the ground um, with Fergus and others um, in terms of what the actual um, Drada flood relief scheme will mean because, Very good. Uh, mm. you know, this this is a, this is something that I'm deeply committed to uh, because this is climate change at the coal face uh, and this is what, you know, a lot, uh, there was a lot of, I suppose, highbrow in Glasgow in terms of COP26, but this is actual uh, bread and butter uh, for people in, in Baltray and Drogheda and further up along the coast you had it in Dundalk uh, as well yeah, so, and, and this is what we're committed to and they know that themselves Minister thank you indeed thank for you. joining us on the programme this morning that's uh, the Minister for uh, the Office of Public Works and Flood Relief Patrick O'Donovan TD Michael Reed on LMFM. A lot of talk in uh, the Dáil yesterday about COVID. Once again, we'll hear one of uh, the contributions now from Fianna Fáil TD, Cahill Crow. Um, Chairman, this morning I met you on the train, the 9.50 train from uh, Limerick to Dublin. And I got on at Limerick and joined the Cork train at Limerick Junction. I was absolutely appalled to see so many people not, not wearing masks. You know, we've had sacrifices over the last two years. We've had people who didn't get home to meet families, people who've been living abroad, people who didn't get Christmas with their families, people who couldn't move more than two kilometres from their home at various times. Wearing a mask has never been a sacrifice. You know, what's the big deal in this? Putting two strings behind your ears and wearing it for the one hour and 50 minutes you're on a train. It's a two fingers to society. It's an affront to our frontline health workers. It's an affront to science. And it's a damn right insult to the 5,609 people in Ireland who have mourned the loss of a loved one during the COVID crisis. For God's sake, wear a mask. 
It's a simple requirement. And if you can't for a medical reason, well, then there's a cert. But get the damn cert. And don't go on the train from Cork to Limerick or go into shops and, and put up videos on social media. We're seeing it every evening of people thinking, uh, I can get away with this. This rule doesn't apply to me. And challenging others to come and confront them. I confronted some people on the train today. I began by, I, I handed out masks to a family in particular and said, do you not have masks? And I brought out a bag of masks I had in my own bag traveling here today. That's wrong. The key to this, uh, and, and Minister Butler's right, it's, you know, vaccination is key, and the rollout of booster vaccination, 630,000 to date, you know, is very good, and drive on and more and more and more. But the key message is of mask wearing, two metre distances, wash your hands, hand sanitise. Some, somewhere that's been lost in society, and we need to re-stamp that point all over again. Uh, to the 7% that are unvaccinated, I don't agree with you. I don't. And some of you have medical reasons, and that's fine. But those of you who email my office telling me that honey, honey will cure COVID, that you can pour bleach down your throat like the President uh, Trump said uh, 18 months ago, that's absolute codswallop. Believe in the science of this. Believe that the scientific community globally, that vaccinations are what are needed in this, and we need to buy into that. But that 7% that are unvaccinated are a small cohort of the population, but tonight they account for 55% of those in intensive care units all across the country. We need to collectively reflect on that. Mm, indeed. Odd people. Anyway, that's uh, Fianna Fáil TD, Carl Crow, uh, speaking in the doll yesterday. Thanks to Declan and Dundalk on the phone saying the Catholic Church did plenty of wrong in this country, but they also did plenty of good, and we mustn't forget the good that they did. There are lots of bad apples in all professions, and uh, there are many people of Catholic faith in Ireland, and I think the anti-Catholic narrative is getting tiresome at this stage. Thanks for your call to the show, Declan. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the truckers caused an awful lot of uh, disruption uh, in uh, the capital yesterday because of uh, the cost of fuel. The Taoiseach was asked what could be done to bring down the cost. You keep coming up with solutions that don't match what's possible, uh, but they sound good and they sound popular. Uh, but don't, I mean, you, you came up with a zero VAT um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, simply can't be done. We, we, we are one of only a few EU countries. That by way of a special derogation from the general EU's, EU rules already apply a reduced rate of VAT on, of 13.5% to energy prices. Under EU rules, reduced rates of VAT must be between 5 to 15%. So a zero rate as proposed by yourself is not possible. Now, you, you kept saying it, but it's not possible. Uh, I'm informed and advised. And under EU rules, our reduced rate of VAT of 13.5% on energy prices cannot be reduced below 12%. If we were to attempt to reduce the rate to, say, 9%, and we've looked at all this, for a few months, the VAT rate would afterwards revert up to the standard rate of 23%. Because you'd be opting out, you'd be opting out of the derogation we currently right. have. That's the Tisha. Camille Martin was responding to Mary Lee MacDonald in the doll yesterday. Sean Henry is a small haulier from Dunboyne in County Meath and uh, took part in yesterday's protest. Good morning to you, Sean. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, there was a lot of disruption yesterday. Was it the right approach? Um, I suppose it was really um, the the truckers. I suppose have are, are out there every day doing what to do. Um, nobody seems to be listening to them. So uh, they we had to make a, a, a stand somewhere along the way and, and let let the government know and people know um, you know what what our problems are. I suppose. Yeah. Well. 
Uh, they heard you. Um, it was discussed in the doll, as you heard a, a moment ago, uh, but it made no difference uh, and it's not going to make any difference, it would seem. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, people couldn't get to work, people couldn't get to pick their children from school, people couldn't get to hospital appointments, people couldn't get to work in hospital and so on because of the disruption. Yeah, I suppose that's the, I mean, we were out um, early morning, like we we left the N3 as you know, about a half, six, quarter, seven yesterday morning. So I don't think uh, there was that many people bringing their kids to school at that stage. Uh, we drove slowly. We kept driving all the way into into uh, Dawson Street where we stopped um, yesterday in there for a couple of hours. I don't think uh, the, the disturbance was that bad, really, you know. Right. And there were a few people driving behind you at a snail's pace, it seems. You would have thought otherwise. Yeah, well, I suppose we we went in at at uh, with a, a guy leading our uh, section, uh, a man from Navan on a tractor. Now he drove all the way from Navan to uh, into uh, the centre of the city, so we followed him at whatever speed he was doing. So uh, mm. um, you know, uh, it, no, it looked it looked um, on the news last night. I have to say, the M50 and stuff, and some of my own trucks, obviously. We're stuck on the M50 uh, with with that, so um, it's just the way it is, I suppose. Mm-hmm. The Gardaí said you caused a, 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 an awful lot of angst, uh, and uh, they were very critical as well because there was no engagement with them a, a, about how to go about this protest. Yeah, well, I suppose, uh, you know, um, it, it stemmed from um, uh, Richard uh, Dunne, who uh, the TD, um, the Independent, I mean, he's in there fighting our corner um, in the doll every day. So, you know, we spoke to him yesterday. He, he came out. The guards wanted to see him and have a chat with him yesterday when we were in there. Now, I spoke mm. to both the sergeant that was on duty in and where we were and, and uh, also the inspector, and they didn't seem to have any major problem with us. They, they We told them we were going to stay there for a couple of hours, and they seemed to be happy enough with that. Mm. Okay. Um, bear with me, if you will. Uh, we're going to listen to a little bit more of what the Taoiseach had to say about the protest and indeed uh, the cost of diesel in particular for hauliers. Uh, and maybe uh, then you'd like to react to what Michal Martin has yeah. to say. Yeah. It is, as I say, the, the global phenomenon uh, arising from the price of raw materials, exchange rates and taxation and so on. The carbon tax is a very small part of what's going on at the moment in terms of the global phenomenon. And I think it's uh, lacking balance to throw that into the mix. Uh, in terms of creating that as the, 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 the main reason for why there's been a very significant increase in energy prices um, across Europe. Uh, the carbon tax is part of a climate change agenda. Um, it's not uh, you know, popular to do things like that, but it's the right thing to do for the future uh, of our young generation in this country. Um, to, to really deal with climate change along with a whole range of issues. And it's part of a global problem. The cost of fuel, uh, the Taoiseach was saying, is going up, soaring right uh, across Europe because uh, the production has stopped as a result of the pandemic and there's nothing yeah. they can do about the VAT. Uh, so what can they do? The Taoiseach argument that there's very little that can be done. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, just listening to uh, Richard yesterday there, um, you know, for every hundred uh, euro worth of diesel, uh, the, the government are taking fifty-seven euro from that hundred. So, you know, um, I don't know. Is there is there much can be done? I suppose. Uh, I think we we were just, um, you know, I suppose just trying to highlight it really and mm. let people know because 
you know, at the end of the day, it's trucks that uh, bring the food to everybody's tables at the end of the day. And, and if they, um, you know, and you've, you might have heard some of the, the, the lads saying there yesterday that they, they're contemplating moving to England to work, you know. So um, we'll end up with no trucks and, and uh, no food on the table if, if things keep going the way they are. OK. Will there be another protest before Christmas? Uh, there is certainly talk of it. Yeah, that's the plan uh, um, at the moment. As far as I'm aware, uh, no, it's it's just nothing final on it. But I'm sure we'll we'll um, we'll hear something. And I hear what you're saying. I will certainly uh, tell the people that I'm dealing with that uh, you know to let let certainly let the guard know that what's going on. But uh, you know, I appreciate what people are saying. But um, you know, we we have to try and do our best. Yeah, I'm lo- I'm losing you there, Sean. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, can yeah, you hear me now? I can hear you, yeah. You, you, you understand that people uh, felt, well, I didn't do anything to cause this. I'm I'm paying an awful lot for petrol or diesel myself uh, and I'm stuck uh, because of the protest. Yeah, but I, you know, I got a lot of, uh, um, you know, I, I looked at uh, some of the stuff, the, the emails and, and uh, comments that people were making afterwards and, mm. You know, I think, uh, you know, out of every 10 comment, uh, nine of them were good, you know, and, and complimenting us on what we've done, you know. Mm. OK, yeah. I, I imagine there are mixed opinions. Uh, nobody is happy about the cost of petrol or diesel. Uh, it certainly was a significant protest. Some people, as you say, happy about it, uh, and others uh, were... Uh, I suppose uh, <laughs> not so happy <laughs> to put it mildly shot. Yeah, okay, no, there, was a, there was a lot of disruption. All right, thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning, though. Much appreciated. Okay. Thank you. That's uh, Sean Henry uh, Hollier in Dunboyne in County Mead. Now, thanks uh, to Raid in Drada, who was in touch with us about the Catholic Church. She says uh, they don't need to involve themselves in sex education. They have enough to be doing in looking after their parishioners. It should be a science-based, factual curriculum. It's up to the parents and church to teach about morals outside of schools. Thank you indeed. Uh, we're just going to go back to hear a little bit more from Col Crow, that Fianna Fáil TD, who was giving out about the anti-vaxxers earlier in the programme. I think we need a more extensive use of digital COVID certification. At the moment, it's largely used in hospitality, it's used in international travel. I think it pretty much should be used everywhere at this point, going to a match, going to your local barber, going pretty much everywhere. And you know what, at the moment, uh, th- those who aren't vaccinated, and some have chosen, some are unable to be vaccinated, they're largely kept out of that. There's a bit of an inequality to all of this. And we constantly get emails into our constituency offices about this. If we expand the role of digital COVID certification, if we expand the role of antigen testing, we actually allow for an extra layer of testing, an extra layer of assurance when people uh, publicly engage with others. We also allow those who can't currently benefit from their local bar restaurant to go in and benefit from that too. All right, uh, that's Carl Crow, a listener in touch with us, saying anyone who is not vaccinated should not be tolerated in society. They should not be uh, allowed into hospitals or treated in, in hospitals. So they are causing the health system to be overrun and they are so selfish they are a law unto themselves. I'm not very sure if Fergus O'Dowd would agree or go as far as that listener did, but he certainly thinks that there should be restrictions on the unvaccinated. 623 persons over 15 years admitted to ICU with confirmed COVID. Of those, 393, that is 63% of all of the people admitted to ICU since the 1st of April of this year uh, do not have or did not have a COVID vaccine. So there's a huge 
a huge risk to their health and their lives. And I'm very concerned about this, like my colleague. And I accept there are people who have medical reasons why they can't be. But, but we must accept that, that more must be done. And we should have extend mandatory COVID certification to a significant number of other activities other than obviously and excluding essential services. And this is the only way, this is the only way to proceed. We cannot allow unvaccinated people to take up services which are urgently required and not available to the population who are vaccinated and need those services now as well. That's Fergus O'Dowd, one of many local politicians who participated in that dull debate last night on COVID and we'll hear some of uh, the local issues that they were raising later in the programme. Uh, but we'll hear more from Fergus O'Dowd now and uh, another local issue that he was raising and uh, the terrible, terrible things that families who had loved ones in Dalgan House lived through as a result of this pandemic. We need to have a structure in place that we would have a national day to remember those and to commemorate all of those who passed during that time. Uh, We also need, I note uh, Minister Butler's comments on nursing homes, and I agree with the excellent work that she's doing there, but there is a significant absence of addressing the deaths in some nursing homes, which are of particularly deep concern to me and constituents in relation to Dalgan House and indeed there are other nursing homes in other parts of the country that need to be properly investigated and it doesn't appear as if that's going to happen anytime soon and I'm very concerned about that and I will continue the campaign. In the interim, if the government cannot or won't provide an inquiry, I think the Rochdus Committee should reset and should examine this issue again. We are uh, in England, in the UK Parliament, they had a parliamentary inquiry. I think it's time to have one here as well. And I think if we talk as as an Oireachtas together across parties uh, to get an outcome that would make sense to the families, that they could bear witness to the suffering of their loved ones and they might be able to find the truth of what actually happened in a transparent, accountable place like our Parliament. That's Fergus O'Dad. We'll hear more from him and other local TDs later in the programme. Thanks now, though, to Michael, who was on the phone about the cost of fuel. He says the government is being smart. They'll keep increasing the costs so that people can no longer afford to use their cars and then people will have no choice but to change and buy an electric vehicle. Thank you indeed, Michael, for your call to the show. Michael Michael Reed Reed on on LMFM. Now, the rate of COVID in young children has been rising since mid-October, according to the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, which says that COVID-19 is now more prevalent in primary school-aged children than in any other cohort, with some 10,000 cases that have proven to be positive in the past fortnight. Uh, Let's uh, speak uh, to John Boyle, who's uh, the General Secretary of uh, the Irish National Teachers' Organisation. And a very good morning to you, John, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. As we've been hearing... NEFID will meet today and will decide as to whether uh, it would be better if uh, the children going to your schools uh, would wear masks. Uh, There's also talk of young children being vaccinated uh, if uh, the European Medicines Agency gives an approval to the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, And uh, there's uh, much uh, talk about antigen tests and this new system of tracing contacts and so on. Uh, It's obviously a very serious situation. Has it been allowed to get out of hand? I think it probably has, uh, Michael, unfortunately. Um, you know, those figures that you heard from the HPSC 
we're now up to 10,531 children um, tested positive up till Tuesday evening there in the fortnight. And when you reflect back at the time that they actually used to support schools, the public health people withdrew all their supports from the 27th of September. And the following week, um, we kind of expected maybe that there could be an impact. And the impact was that at that time, there was about 200 children a day testing positive. But now it's up to 800, and, and that's like less than two months ago. So something has gone wrong. Um, now, whether it's directly related to the fact that they took all the supports away from the schools or whether it's just that the, the, the level went crazy in, in, in the community, we, we don't really, I don't think they know themselves, to be honest with you. You, you know, you mm. heard Dr. Ronan Glynn last evening. For the first time, I think he's, he's casting some aspersions on, the, on the, the mantra about schools being safe. We've always kind of uh, accepted their view that schools are as safe as the community in which they, they are located. But at the moment, Michael, there's 15,000 children off school because of COVID. Uh, 10,500 have COVID and then brothers and sisters can't come in. And the Taoiseach believes that, that you know, there's one and a half people positive, uh, one and a half people um, asymptomatic for everyone that's positive. So the chances are there's 15,000 in today with COVID as well in our primary schools. Yeah. And we, we have 1,500 teachers off as well. So, I mean, these are kind of startling figures compared to where we were last year when we had public health support. And um, I think it, it really, uh, it's a big call now to have some supports put back in place, starting with antigen testing on Monday. Um, and those other measures that are being looked at this morning that you referred to, mm. you know, we certainly need to see uh, a rollout of the vaccination program for children. The Pfizer vaccine is in use in, in other countries. Um, hopefully it will be approved for Ireland. But, you know, there's, it's not a simple matter of the decision that's being made about it today, mm. because then the, the regulatory authorities in Ireland have to decide whether or not they're going to license it. And as we know our, ourselves, too. There has been a big, you know, a kind of a slow enough rollout of booster vaccines for the vulnerable. And obviously they'd have to get their vaccines and their boosters before the children would get theirs, I'd imagine. So mm. I'd say we have a long road ahead of us over over the uh, winter and into the spring. OK, when NEFID makes its recommendations today, there could be heartbreaking news for grandparents coming into Christmas because it's quite possible that they will suggest that young children don't visit them uh, because of uh, the risk of passing on uh, the virus. And on the other hand, then, we're hearing that the risk of transmission in schools remains low. It's hard to balance that in your mind. Is it that the measures that are being taken in schools uh, to keep apart from each other and um, that kind of thing are being followed to such a degree that the risk is less in schools than it is in somebody's house? Well, I think, Michael, that, um, you know, back before the Delta variant, those uh, risk, um, those uh, protective measures that were in place um, to avoid the inf- infection, um, you know, controlling it and av- avoiding it uh, getting any higher. They worked reasonably well before Delta. Um, you know, we're not so sure that they're working as well at the moment. I mean, for two reasons, I'd imagine. Obviously, the Delta is far more transmissible. But apart from that, um, you know, people do get tired um, and it's difficult to keep up uh, your guard the whole time, whether it's the children themselves you know, it's, it was always difficult to keep junior infants apart anyway, but mm. there was a big emphasis at the meeting we had with public health yesterday on the pods. Um, rather than have your whole class, you know, circulating around the classroom, even at infant level, 
that there should be a maximum of six children uh, sitting at a table and they should not be mixing with the other children in the class. Now, it's an airborne virus, yeah. so you wonder whether that's going to be effective. But for the, for the antigen testing rollout, they're very anxious that if there is a positive case in a small group of uh, maybe six children, that the only kids who would, who, whose parents would be offered the antigen test would be those six. And then within seven days, if there's another uh, case in the class, um, at that point then, the whole class would be offered antigen testing. And we had to fight yesterday actually to make sure that if, that, if such a thing was happening, that the staff members inside in the classroom would get the antigen test as well. Mm. Now, they'll continue to come to school unless... Um, they develop symptoms or unless they test uh, positive. And I think really that thing about the symptoms is the key message here. Now, if I had any one message for for your listeners this morning who have young children, um, you know, there, there, there were uh, outbreaks in schools over the last few weeks. Now, government doesn't really report on them anymore because they're not checking primary schools. But when something gets completely out of hand, they do report on it. And apparently there was an outbreak uh, where a child who was quite symptomatic, um, remained in school for two weeks while symptomatic. And the impact of that on the school then was that, that, that lots of classes had to stay home for a couple of weeks, you know. So so it's going to be difficult, but at least we got the package of measures for the substitute teachers, Michael, um, the other night, which was very, very welcome. Right, yeah. Uh, that's uh, with the college uh, students, the graduates. Well, we 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 got a we we had a survey last week, and the survey um, identified that, um, for example, three thousand seven hundred uh, occasions in the fortnight since midterm, that there was no cover at all available for a class um, throughout the country, and only a quarter of our principals were able to respond to this survey because they'd be so busy dealing with COVID. But in those quarter of the schools, there was three hundred three thousand seven hundred seventy times when there was actually nobody available. So one of the existing staff who helped children with special needs or the principal themselves, they had to drop everything and, and go and stand in and, and cover the class for mm-hmm. the day. So so that certainly wasn't going to be sustainable. And I know that in, in your own um, area mm-hmm. there that there was a couple of classes sent home. Yep. I mean, we don't want to see classes sent home. So we had, we had to uh, show government uh, through a survey that these were the numbers of absences and then when they could see that I think they moved immediately they gave us two extra teachers for 200 extra teachers for supply panels they also gave uh, uh, freed up students from the teacher training college and we're really really grateful that the colleges came on board with that because colleges would have had to change you know all their courses and their examinations before Christmas um, so I think there's going to be about 500 students being available every week now between now and mid-February. Hopefully that will paid for doing that work. Sure, up that gap. Teachers, yeah. hmm. uh, now retired teachers will be reluctant at the moment with the numbers, but they were cutting their pension if they came in to help us out. And, and you know, we felt that that was unfair because once they were willing to help us out, they should be incentivized. So, so they're not going to cut their pension anymore. So all of those things should help us um, maybe get hmm. through up until mid-term break in February. But we need public health now. The department are playing their part at the moment in, in education, but the public health people have totally abandoned schools and, and that can't continue. OK, and what uh, was said, just back up there a little bit about antigen tests uh, for teachers, uh, did you say that they're going to be made available now to staff? Yeah, so, okay. so basically if there's a staff member uh, working with the pod um, where the, the case was, like for example, an SNA works really closely with, with children with special education in the little pod, you know, so that, that staff member will, will get the antigen test if there's a positive case in the pod. And then 
we had to make a particular case then for the special education teacher who would work in the same way maybe um, so they'll be getting it with the pod and then when you go beyond that then if there's two cases in the class within the week the class teacher and all the children um, the families will be offered antigen tests they'll be posted out in the post they'll take them on day zero day two day four but they're going to be given two spare ones as well which we learned about yesterday because if there are further cases in the class um you'll be asked to take the five tests um, rather than the three tests. So it, I okay. think it well, that, 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 That's progress, yeah, and yeah, certainly right. a, a change uh, from the original position at the start of the week. Uh, what uh, about uh, the airborne element of uh, this that you mentioned a, a moment ago? Uh, was there any movement on air filtration, these HEPA uh, filters uh, for classrooms uh, from uh, the officials, or are you going to have to continue to keep windows open? It, it seems to me that they're, they're, they're really dead set against uh, the air filtration systems. I mean, the guidance that came out in May, there was two aspects to it. The first aspect has been uh, implemented. That is, did you get a CO2 monitor to implement or to, to identify where the problem is? Okay. Now, we would contend that some of the larger schools didn't get enough of those monitors and they have to share them between classes. But nevertheless, at least monitors are in place. And windows and doors, of course, are still open, and then that's adding to the to, to the heating bill for the school, I suppose, and maybe for the parents having to buy the heavy coats. But nevertheless, the the second uh, set of guidance then was about you know where, where you identify a problem, what do you do? And the Department of Education are absolutely adamant that what you have to do as a school is you have to get a professional person in, an engineer or an architect, to write up a report for you to identify a proper long-term solution rather than HEPA filters. Um, and, of course, our concern is that um, if the long-term solution means a lot of uh, construction work, maybe putting in new windows or putting holes in walls to put in expillers or whatever the case may be, that by the time that work is done, we could have we could, we could 30,000 children off due to COVID rather than 15,000. Mm. So, like, we, we are continuing to push for... I suppose it may be a halfway house here where a, a, a number of filters would be provided to each school that could be shared as well, similar to the monitors, but that if there's long-term work uh, needed, you know, the department are adamant that they have the money yeah. to do it, and they, they say that uh, schools simply have to get a professional report, but... Are you suspicious? The yesterday, these professional reports are not cheap, Michael. Mm. Are you suspicious uh, at all uh, about the approach that's been taken here uh I wonder, are, are you suspicious that the intention is to let this run through the primary school population? No, I, I, I wouldn't say that, Michael. Okay. I, I, I work very closely now, mostly on a weekly basis with the public health people. And I know that they're unlikely to ever admit that they made a mistake uh, back on the 27th of September. Their argument at the time was that the reason that they weren't prepared to continue putting the resources into the contact tracing for schools in the primary sector was that A, it was very resource-heavy, B, there was a lot of children who were off school who are perfectly well for two weeks now. I think they could have come, come at that one differently. They, they could have still done the, the, the public health risk assessment and the testing, and they could have sent them back to school after they were tested negative instead of staying at home for a fortnight. But, but the, the big point they made at the time was that younger children were not um, impacted as badly by the virus. So... I was worried about that at the time because, I mean, that that was seemed to me to be based more on the previous uh, version of the virus. 
um, when 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 I heard that they weren't as worried about the children, um, you know how they would be medically affected, and then when I hear um, that there are children in ICU at the moment of that age group, I, I just begin to wonder, um, you know, why did they not uh, still continue with the best international practice of doing contact tracing? And now what has happened is they've been kind of bounced into the antigen testing, which they were never really in favour of in the first case. And I suppose they had to be seen to do something. I, I still feel that there's going to have to be some element of contact tracing and risk assessments because principal teachers are going, going to be asked now to go down and identify which child, you know, if a child is positive in a pod. And they depend on parents telling them that the child was positive. And most parents would be very responsible, but they're going to have to do more or less the work that the HSE used to be doing, and you yeah. know, they're not really qualified to do it. So again, I think, I think there's a bit to go yet now, Michael, before yeah. we get this right. And to reiterate the message uh, that you uh, tried to pass on to parents uh, a little bit earlier on, I think as you've done many times uh, when you've spoken to us on the program, please don't send your children into school if you think they have a cold or showing any other symptoms uh, in line with a cold, which could be COVID for that matter. Yeah, well, one last thing on that, Michael, and this is kind of even caused us confusion yesterday and we're living with this every day so if your child is in school and is part of a pod and they're deemed to be a close contact in school they have to do the antigen testing at home they'll be sent out in the post but they don't have to stay at home they can continue to come to school unless they have symptoms or negative Mm -hmm. but there's a totally different approach being taken to household contacts so if your child is, is uh, vaccinated and not many of the primary school children are vaccinated and there's a case in the house, they have to stay off school for a week. Um, but if the child is unvaccinated and there's a case in the house, they have to stay off school for two weeks. So it's not easy now for parents to understand no, all that. And no. the sooner we get the guidance out from the schools, I think they've gone out through the school bags on Monday. Uh, at least people will know that there's actually three different versions now of what you have to do, which is not going to be easy mm. to understand. But the key message in the middle of it all is if you if your child is off form and has any of these symptoms, be the normal or the abnormal symptoms, the common or the uncommon, don't go into school because you risk adding to the 15,000 children that are off because, you know, because the more that go in with it, the, the more it's going to spread. Okay. We'll uh, repeat uh, that uh, for our listeners over the coming days. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. John Boyle, the General Secretary of the Irish National Teachers Organisation, the INTO. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing on LMFM's news, production has stopped at Tara Mines. Uh, let's speak now to Klaus Nielsen, who's uh, Director of Communications for Beliden, uh, which uh, oversees Tara Mines. A very good morning to you, Klaus, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. What is uh, the problem? Well, the problem is that uh, much more water than expected is uh, flowing into the mine. It exceeds our pump capacity, and therefore we shut down production. And uh, pretty much all our efforts now is uh, towards uh, to stopping the water flow coming into the mine. So the water continues to flow into the mine? At the minute, yes. How much water are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about plenty of water of course of course we have uh, some decent pump capacity at the mine but uh, this unexpected event uh, uh, is due to a borehole that we drilled um, a few days ago and much much more water than we expected uh, started to flow into the mine and therefore we had to make precautionary measures uh, to uh, 
keep the operations safe, basically. Where, where is the water coming from? Is it a, a natural stream or can you explain that to us? No, we, we did a lot of service the, before we did this borehole. Uh, and uh, cause, so, so, we, so we didn't expect this to happen. Uh, so now we're going to have to go back and see what this, where this water comes from and, and how it affects uh, our future operations. It's an unknown source, but probably an underground stream or something like that, is it? Uh, well, it comes from uh, deep underground, so so uh, there's some water that are uh, that were didn't expect to encounter, and now mm. we did. Uh, but we're well managed, and all the all the people in, in Tara knows what to do, and we have a good plan to handle okay. the situation. But it will take some time. Mm. Uh, and what do you do in that time? What's it involved? In, I mean, are you essentially talking about building a, a dam of some sort uh, to stop the flow of water? Now, well, there are several things we do. Of course, we, we move out machinery so they don't get flooded. Uh, and, of course, we, we make measures to stop the flood or, uh, flow of water into the borehole. And that, that, uh, that uh, pretty much uh, surrounds that plugging the borehole so, so the water stops coming into the mine. And then, of course, we need to increase uh, the pump capacity and pump the water that has come into the mine. Uh, so we can uh, go back to a normal situation as soon as possible. Mm. Plugging the hole, <laughs> it sounds straightforward when you say it like that, but I imagine that's uh, a very complicated process. How deep would the water be in the mine? Well, uh, at the minute, uh, we haven't had the... the actually, the, the water has only flown to a certain shaft in the mine, so it's a controllable situation. Uh, so it's, it's no, uh, we, we have no worries that it will flood the entire mine but of course we we need to stop uh, the the water uh, increasing even even more uh, and of course as always in these kinds of situations we need to make uh, precautionary measures if if all things fail but but uh, but we're confident that we'll manage the situation um, carefully and, and responsibly and and get back to a normal situation uh, quite soon okay uh, there were no injuries i take it no, this is, has never been any situation where staff has been uh, in, in risk of injury. Uh, so, but of course, we we, we have made a, a lot of uh, things in, in order to secure and and, and uh, in order to get back to the production as normal as as all as all, all the employees want to do. Mm. Uh, you're talking about what about 700 people who work in the mines. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Uh, something like that. And um, what what will they do now that production has stopped? All the shifts are running uh, at uh, at the normal rate, and and all 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 staff is engaged in in the work that we're doing now. That is moving machinery, and uh, doing uh, in all well, work surrounding the borehole, and and that will continue until we we solve the situation. Okay. Uh, and is there any risk uh, to people's uh, jobs? Uh, is there a chance that people will be laid off temporarily or otherwise? Uh, not that we see it as uh, now. Uh, our main focus is that we will we will handle the situation and we'll get back to, uh, to production quite shortly. Okay. You're confident of that, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we, we are uh, well educated. We have encountered these kinds of situations before. We know what to do. Uh, it takes some time to do it, but of course we will get back to a normal situation uh, as soon as we can. We can't really just say exactly when we will, but we, I'm sure we'll, we'll get back to, the, to, to well, everyday life uh, quite soon.
Okay, very good. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Klaus Nielsen, who's uh, the Director of Communications for the Beliden Group, uh, which is uh, the parent company of Taramines. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, I said we'd hear from Fergus O'Dowd again and indeed some of the other local TDs who took part in the Dahl debate last night about COVID. The national average per 100,000 is 1,160 cases. In late on Bettystown, in my constituency, it's almost double that, 1,876. In Drogheda Rural, it's 1,963. And in Drogheda Town itself, 2,415 per 100,000. That is an appalling, frightening statistic. And I accept that uh, we're we're doing our best, but we're not doing enough. This evening, you can get no COVID test in County Loud or indeed in County Mead. Now, I know you can say what you like about it. This is the biggest town in the country. It has the highest rate of COVID nationally. It has no test centre. Now, it did have a test centre uh, during the summer for a significant period of time. We need it back. I've requested it. I understand the Director of Public Health has requested it. Nothing to date is happening. We do not accept this. It's unfair on families, picked with young children, have to ring around and truck around to other adjoining counties. Unacceptable. The demand in County Loud the month of October, there were 12,454 tests. November to the 21st, from the 1st to the 21st, 11,964 tests. So it is a very significant issue. It needs to be addressed. Labour's Jed Nash agreed. Now, accessibility is key. In Drogheda, families tell me of the difficulty they have getting to RD to be tested. There are 3,000 households, according to the last census, in the town of Drogheda that do not have cars. Now, too many people who need to be tested aren't being tested, quite frankly, uh, because they can't access the uh, centre itself. And the pressure then falls on the National Ambulance Service. And the National Ambulance Service, as you know, Minister, is stretched. So, Minister, you and the HSE nationally really need to act here. And I appeal to you to act in the interests of the people of Drada, South Loud and East Meath. And that view was echoed by Sinn Féin's Imelda Munster. In my home county of Loud, Minister, cases are the highest in the country. And Drogheda has been particularly badly hit with one in 40 people testing positive over the past fortnight. And that's an absolutely staggering statistic. Now, I had been calling for a testing centre in Drogheda and I had asked even a mobile clinic that would be quick and easy to, to provide. And we've heard nothing from, no indication certainly from government that that's going to happen. The local, HSE locally have been contacted by myself at the start of the week, just requesting a pop-up centre. Again, something simple, given the high rate of cases. And they've yet to respond. Where's the sense of urgency when cases are through the roof, Minister? Testing again, as others have said, is an absolute shambles at the moment. There's no test available in Loud until at the very least Friday, despite the fact that, again, cases are so frighteningly high. It's totally unacceptable, Minister, and I would ask you tonight, would you please give me a commitment at this stage, would you give me a commitment that you will pick up the phone to the HSE in Loud and request that they provide a pop-up test centre in Drada? It's not too much to ask. It's the highest rate in the country. Would you give me that commitment, Minister? Minister, will you give me that commitment, please? 
Okay, thank you. Okay, I know you couldn't hear what the minister said, but Stephen Donnelly said he'd address the question when he wrapped up after he heard from the other TDs. Another TD he did hear from was Peter Fitzpatrick. I want to say it again, Minister. The measures must be clear and must be concise and we must have a roadmap. I am urging the government and ethics to work on a clear plan that will get this country free from this virus. It's not a simple task, but let's look at the, the, the countries who have been successful. See what they've done and what has been a success and implement it. Simply putting the country into another lockdown, in my opinion, is not, it's not, it's not right. It has not worked on previous three occasions, so why should it work now? Minister, we deserve to know what is happening. We don't need speculations. I don't need to walk down the streets of the dock or walk down the streets of the Jordan or get people ringing me up and telling me, oh, this is happening on the 13th of December or this is happening on the 20th of December. We need to stop the speculations. We just need a roadmap. I'm glad to see the minister come back in. Minister, we need a roadmap. We need, we need to be precise and we need to be all speaking the same language. And also, as a, a lot of deputies have spoke this evening about uh, uh, OC, sorry, PCR tests not being available in 21 counties. My county is the same, County Loud the two largest towns in the county and the country. But I'm just saying to say, Minister, I don't know why you give a commitment earlier on that you are going to put a pop-up centre in the area. There's 21 counties. Prevention is the best cure. And I think it's very, very important that we acknowledge that. And Sinn Féin's Rory O'Murakou was equally concerned. Boosters across the board. We need the Minister to engage with Neffet and with NIAC and we need to make sure that we have all the capacity we're going to need but that we utilise the capacity we have and that's the centres and that's obviously that's pharmacies and it's also GPs. It's using all that we can. Uh, I accept there is also the wider issue we still need to deal with of vaccinations across the world and whether that's the TRIPS waiver or just ensuring by whatever means that the capacity is there because none of us are safe until all of us are safe. Look, we've all bored each other in relation to antigen testing and we all go back through Kildare Street to say who who said it first. But the fact is for a significant amount of time we have known that we have needed a greater element of antigen testing. We need to facilitate it as much as possible that's beyond schools, that's beyond to close contacts, that's in relation to everybody who is going through their life at this point in time. It's another tool that can catch mistakes. And look, we know the difficulties we have in relation to PCR testing. County Loud, Dundalk, Drogheda, RD, we have significant issues as regards infection. We do need pop-up clinics and we need to do whatever we can to bring ourselves to a better place. A lot of local issues raised with the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Uh, Around 210,000 PCR tests in the last seven days which means that about one in every 25 man, woman and child in this country has had a PCR test in the last seven days. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, It's incredible. Now, I I know and we're all very conscious that for some people, uh, they're not getting them as soon as they go on to book them. And this does cause real anxiety. People are symptomatic. They want to test. They're right to want to test. We're asking them to take a test. And when they see the message come up saying there aren't any available at the moment, it very understandably causes some anxiety. And we're, we're working to do everything we can to that end. Um, at the moment, four in every five people are getting a test within 24 hours, which is good. And obviously, the one in five uh, are the ones that are coming to us uh, and that we are representing here and, and, and we want to see more done for them. What I can say is, for the prioritised referrals. These are referrals uh, that are either close contacts or come from GPs. 
97% of the prioritized referrals are getting a PCR test uh, within 24 hours. One in 25 people being tested in the last week. It really is incredible. That's the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Uh, he must have forgot to say anything about the pop-up centres in Drogheda or elsewhere, but uh, he certainly didn't say anything about them. But that's all we have time for. That's our programme for today, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and protecting. Potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.